but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 6. Once again, we're looking at vagabonds and worthless people. We're dealing with the sluggard and we're dealing with the Belials. Taking a look at the Belials this morning. We should be able to tie this together, hopefully, and then uh, be ready for 16 through 19, maybe as quickly as next week. Six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him. And so uh, if we do our thing we're hoping to do today, then uh, we can start having our hate classes next week, as, uh, as it were. You know, we're going to be accused of hate in uh, a lot of different ways because we hold values that are contrary to the world system. We hold God's values, biblical norms and standards, and so very quickly they will start throwing the hate thing around. And when they do, just smile and then understand that uh, it's uh, not true from their perspective, of course, but it is true biblically speaking. God does hate, and we are to have the attitude God has. And uh, hate is not the opposite of love. Hate is a facet of love. When you understand your love for Jesus Christ, you understand the correlating hatred for all that stands opposed to Jesus Christ. And it's not a mental attitude sin any more than anger is. When Scripture says, be angry yet do not sin, the sanctified hatred that is like-mindedness with what God hates is, uh, is an important study. And I think it's good too, that we learn, uh, is, it, is it biblical or not? Everybody wants to throw around the, well, um, hate the sin but love the sinner, all right, as if that's a real clever little thing. Well, we'll talk about that because we've got some uh, important, uh, like I say, hate classes coming up, uh, maybe as early as next week when we get to verse 16. All right, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ask God the Father to sanctify our thinking, to bless our time in His Word today. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, I want to thank you for this day, for this morning. It's already been full of blessings in the the prayer time that the ladies had available to them and in the training time that that we had available to us. And Father, now you're uh, opening uh, the opportunity for us to uh, study in the book of Proverbs. We want to thank you for that. Father, uh, thank you for the teaching that gets very blunt in uh, in this book, and it needs to be, Father. And I pray that we might embrace it and accept it for what it is. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are in the midst of point three. And as we've broken this chapter down, we've already seen uh, verses one through five that focuses on financial entanglements. In chapter six, David's parental wisdom to Solomon turns to financial matters. The first admonition is a warning against the financial entanglements of others, specifically the neighbor, the neighbor that's not entitled to the financial entanglements that family is entitled to. And we discuss the contrast between a brother and a neighbor in uh, the financial realm of, uh, of that study. Point two, David's second financial admonition is a warning against laziness. And this is go to the ant, O sluggard, in verses 6 through 11. 
It opens up with, go to the ant, O sluggard, and it closes with, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And so we have the vagabonds and the ruffians, the the vagabonds and the bandits. I forget how I called them. Did I call them bandits? No, I called them ruffians. I went back and forth. The screen says ruffians, my paper says bandits. I couldn't make up my mind which I wanted to call them. Uh, they are shield men is what they have. They are armed with a shield, and the Hebrew word literally means uh, shield. And uh, as it is a very short step from begging to robbery and uh, the violence that is, uh, that is common in uh, that particular way of life, which was sub-point four under this, when begging is insufficient, vagrants turn to banditry. Vagrants will turn to banditry, and it's, it's rough. I tell you, a life without Christ, a life not shaped by the Word of God, it's a jungle out there. And that's by design in the adversary's plan of program. And uh, I think we need to have our eyes open up to that as well. Which brings us then to main point three. As a follow-up to the admonishment against the sluggard, David warned Solomon against Adam Belial, Ish Aven, the strife spreader. And I went ahead and made this a proper name. It's technically not a proper name, but I felt it was useful if it helps us to remember it, to think about it. In verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man. All right? Those are the adjectival descriptions. It's similar to what we've done in Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28 when we've seen adjectival descriptions for Satan. And we found beneficial to take the Hebrew terminology and accept them as proper names, as it were. And so rather than son of the morning, you know, morning star, son of the dawn, as it's presented there in Isaiah 14, we simply call Satan uh, Hillel ben Shachar, for example, or Lucifer from the, from the Latin. In any event, uh, we did something very similar with Choheth uh, Takenoth, I think. I'm getting rusty on it now, but the, uh, the term for Satan in Ezekiel 28. Uh, here in Proverbs 6, we have a worthless person. That is Adam Belial. The word for person is Adam the, the word for man or humanity, the word for, you know, Eve's husband, the, uh, the greatest guy in the world uh, from the time he was created. And uh, Adam Belial, uh, all right, the worthless, the utterly worthless, the no value of any sort, Adam. And that's what we have in verse 12. So Adam Belial, and then the second description, Ish Awen. And so we have both the term Adam that we would expect for humanity, but we also have Ish, as it applies in the Ish-Isha contrast of man and woman in uh, the process there. And so this full name has both the Adam vocabulary and the Ish vocabulary with adjectives that uh, modify them, Belial for worthless and Awen or Oven for uh, wicked. And this is who uh, Solomon is warning David about. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. And the pinnacle of this description is not the eyes, the feet, the mouth, the fingers, Uh, Even the heart, although the heart is the final body part that's mentioned, it is the spreading of strife. 
in the devising of evil, the spreading of strife. And there's a progression in this development that I hope we don't lose sight of. That progression leads up to the spreading of strife. And it's the same thing we're going to learn next week when we start our hate classes. The same thing we're going to learn next week when we see there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. And in that pattern, that X and X plus one pattern, that, that here is six and seven, right? We're gonna, we'll, de- we'll detail this. Elsewhere it's three and four, it's two and three, or there's other patterns in Hebrew where it's a number, X, and then it's the X plus one that completes it, okay? And as, a, as an aspect of, of Hebrew rhetoric, we understand that when the, the pattern is given that way, the one you want to pay attention to is the final one. It is that seventh one, or that fourth one, or that fifth one, or whatever the the uh, the plus one happens to be. In this case, it's a six plus one. That means it's the seventh, and that's the one we pay attention to. And you'll notice it's strife again, the one who spreads strife among brothers. And so whether we're looking at the Belial paragraph in 12 through 15, or we're looking at the hatred paragraph in 16 through 19, they're both taking us to the same place. They are both leading in a, in a progression to the issue of strife. And that issue of strife is the pinnacle of what God is opposed to. All right? He is not the author of confusion. He is a God of peace. He is the Father of peace and God of all comfort. And the idea of strife is absolutely uh, the antithesis of God's very nature in terms of His personal being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and Trinity, or in terms of His, his designed relationship with redeemed humanity. So we'll discuss that as well. Uh, because you and I tend to, or humanity I should say, I won't make it so personal. Um, okay, you and I tend to uh, put big sins up in a, on, a, on a chart like murder and rape and child molestation. We have these ideas of big, bad, horrible things. And wait a minute, God puts strife at the pinnacle of what he's opposed to. And uh, to me, that's, uh, that's a remarkable facet here of, of Proverbs chapter 6. All right, so this is what we're looking at here today. We've got to start on it last week, and we've got to be able to deal with it here today. Subpoint A, we have the vocabulary for Belial. Belial is not an English word, it's not a Greek word, it's a Hebrew word that gets transliterated in these other languages. The Belial, uh, all right, Belial, if you want to give the accent on the Yakel, you can. Uh, in any event, Strong's Cohorts number 1100, 1100, with 27 Old Testament uses. Uh, it references a person or a thing or an idea or something that is utterly without worth. Zero value whatsoever. Nothing. No redeeming thing. Not even a silver lining. Not even a, well, okay. Nothing. Not even that. Utter, total worthlessness. And, uh, as such, we have it in used in different idiomatic expressions. Not only does the Bible present Belials, the Bible will present sons of Belial. And uh, different vulgar expressions there that have come into English in terms of profanity where, where people could be called a Belial or a son of a Belial or a son of a something else. There's any number of idioms that um, I don't need to illustrate further that come from this sense, all right, that comes from the biblical reality of what God holds as worthy and what God holds as worthless. And if you think it's a, it's a throwaway study or something that's inconsequential, think again. The idea of worth 
is at its core the, 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 the heart idea behind worship, is, is his worthship. And so if you're going to ever study worship or you're, going to study, or you're ever going to accomplish true worship in spirit and in truth, then this is not at all a, uh, a throwaway study. Remember, by the New Testament era, the very term itself became used as a title for Satan. And so I'm not the first guy to come along and take a noun and make it a proper name, as uh, the Bible itself does that. What uh, harmony has Christ with Belial, we're told, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? I think it's harmony. Yes. What harmony? This is in that long string where we have partnership, fellowship, harmony, uh, commonality, and agreement. What uh, partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? I love harmony. You know, give me a four-part harmony. Give me a gospel quartet group. All right, give me these guys and you know the 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 tenors that are singing higher than men ought to be able to sing, and and uh, basses that are singing lower than than humans ought to be able to sing, and and uh, and all the rest. That's that's some great harmony right there. But Christ and Belial, there is no harmonization between Christ and Belial. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? There's commonality. What do we have in common? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And so the study of this Belial, no wonder uh, David is warning Solomon about this. We all should be warning our children about the Belials of, uh, of life. All right. Subpoint so B now. Belial walks with a perverse mouth. Belial walks with a perverse mouth. And we've got perversion a couple of times in this context because there's the perverse mouth in verse 12, and all that does is reveal the perverse heart. And uh, we see it in verse 14 with perversity in his heart continually devising evil. Jesus taught something very similar. He talked about it's not what you're putting into your mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of your mouth that demonstrates the defilement that's already a part of that defiled heart. And Jesus taught that very clearly. And so I suspect that our Savior was rather familiar with Proverbs chapter 6. <laughs> All right, In terms of what he learned as a child and what he made a very active part of his, uh, of his ministry. So a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. And the issue is not just the fact that he's a terrible communicator. The issue is the fact that what comes from his mouth reflects the perversity of his heart. It's a theme that comes back again in... in, uh, Actually, it's a theme that we saw previously in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. And the similar vocabulary to what we're looking at here in chapter 6. He says one thing. And the thing about a perverse mouth, it may not be obviously perverse. It may sound sweet. Don't just think that a perverse mouth is just some vile guy with a lot of cussing or uh, some vile person with, with obviously uh, demonic words. A perverse mouth may sound sweet. The, the, the harlot we see time and time again in, in uh, these chapters, uh, her mouth, she has a perverse mouth. Uh, the words are flattering and sweet. They taste sweet, 
but they're bitter to the stomach by the time you digest them, and we can understand that as well. He says one thing, by my means of winking, foot tapping, and finger motions, communicates his perverse heart's intentions to spread strife. By means of winking, foot tapping, and finger motions, communicates his perverse heart's intention to spread strife. And so we see the perversity of his heart in verse 14, continually devising evil. Continually devising evil. And this is uh, you know, the nature of a heart that's just given over. The hardness of heart. The, um, I think the giving over that's spoken of three times in Romans chapter 1 is, is comparable to what we see here. Uh, I think we see the uh, description of the days of Noah when every thought of the intent of his heart was only on evil continually. That's, that's, those, are, those are dark days. And, and we're seeing it in our culture. We're seeing it in, in uh, the day and age in which we live. Clearly, we are in the days of Noah, I think, as you understand these, these aspects of doctrine. Um, now, you can't literally be accomplishing evil 24 hours a day because you have to sleep sometime, <laughs> all right? And, and honestly, uh, there's a lot of evil that we'd like to do. We just can't afford it, so we've got to save up for it. And, and then uh, some other evil that we'd like to do, but um, you know, other things get in the way. The point is, though, even if you can't literally be accomplishing evil around the clock, you can be dreaming about it. You can be thinking about it. You can let your mind entirely be given over to those kind of things. And you'll find that it's not just your waking moments that are constantly thinking about such things, even your non-waking moments. And when you have totally surrendered your thinking over to this type of thing, what might you imagine you find yourself dreaming about? Waking up in the morning, the first thing you think about. Because you've been dreaming about it all night long. You went to bed thinking about it. All right. Uh, then there's, of course, the winking with his eyes. Okay. Is there anything wrong with winking? Is winking a sin? Okay. Are you carnal if you wink? Well, no. Depends. You can, there, there can be edifying winks, right? I winked at Wayne Monday night. You know, just it was kind of, he was sitting there, he was not listening, but I caught his attention. I said his name and that, that got his attention. Then I winked at him, right? So that's, I, I don't put that in a verse 13 here, kind of a wink, okay? Because it wasn't coming from a perverse heart and I wasn't saying one thing and then cluing him into to some kind of lie that I wanted him to play along with. That's what this wink is about. The only reason for winking is that you are, I mean, understand the purpose for the wink. Understand the purpose for the deceitful mouth. Who are you lying to and why? And if the purpose is to deceive, why are you allowing certain people to be in on it? Why not just deceive everybody? But no, this is why the, 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 the strife is, is now driving wedges between people. Because you are only deceiving certain people. And you are welcoming others to become a partaker with you in the deceit. All right? And so you're busy over here, you're telling the lie over here, and you're saying this, and then while they're not looking, you're glancing over to this person over here, and you give them the wink. And, and that's the signal, right? I mean, it's, been, it's still to this day, 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, 
To this day, we humanity still uses the same wink signal we've had way back when. Okay? I suspect had there been more than Cain and Abel around, Cain would have given the wink signal. I mean, it's probably that old. It goes back to time immemorial. Who winks with his eyes? Who signals with his feet? Okay? And that also becomes uh, an aspect. And uh, that we use this in law enforcement. We use uh, tactical feet placement. You want to be center balanced. You want to be prepared. Uh, if you're going to have a, a, a tumble throwdown with an inmate, uh, the most important thing is to make sure your feet are well positioned before the before the the whole thing starts. Or uh, you know, uh, center of gravity is what it is, and you don't want to be on the losing end of the of the uh, of the throwdown. Okay, you want to be doing the throwdown, not being thrown down. And um, Jason will tell you if he's a, uh, he, he visits here every so often, and and. Uh, yeah, he and I he used to work with me in the in the sheriff's department, and and you would just know, you know, when he starts positioning his feet, oh, all right, I know what's coming up next, so I get my feet ready, and all right, here we do it, and uh, that's this similar thing. So you give the wink, you position the feet. Um, it might just be a particular tap, it might be a line in the sand, whatever it might be, but uh, feet can be a good signal because clueless people usually don't pay attention to feet. And uh, they might maybe they're watching your face and you can't give a wink, but you can you can give the foot signal. Or pointing with the fingers. There's something else, you know, pointing with the fingers, either in a directional pointing or a twisting or a crossing of the fingers or some other type of hand signal involving fingers can um, can uh, careful can uh, indicate what's going to happen next. Okay, there's all kinds of things you can signal with a finger that will provoke a result. All right. But the whole thing now, it comes down to the perversity of the heart, the perversity of the heart, continually devising evil, spreading strife. And that's what uh, Belial is actually very good at. So, therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly, he will be broken, and there will be no healing. This actually is a, an interesting pattern of divine discipline that uh, that God uses, remarkably enough, where He turns our sin pattern back upon ourselves. Uh, I think uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, when he was here years ago, he called it "like for like in kind," and it was a, it was a principle that that he developed out of the the the, the Hebrew Old Testament as a concept, and uh, where discipline the 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 hand of God's judgment was commensurate and proportional. But it was commensurate so that like for like in kind, it could be instructive. And in this case, the idea is the surprise factor, the instant nature of it. Uh, wow, didn't see that coming. Okay, And God takes these, these perverts, right, who have, who have kind of specialized in these Belials who have specialized in victimizing people where they never saw it coming. And so they victimize these people with their deceit, with their two-faced patterns, with their perverse mouth and winking and whatever. And they like to ambush their victims where their victims never see it coming. And so when God administers the discipline upon these Belials, they never see it coming. And this is like for like in kind. This is the pattern of God who applies a consequence of judgment in a manner that is um, that resonates with the nature of the sin. 
So um, suddenly, his calamity comes suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken and there will be no healing. And the hand of God's uh, judgment is, uh, is an interesting thing there. All right. What is this perversity? We need some perversity lessons. Perversity, subpoint C. And it's, it's a good term. It's like abomination. Another good term. Um, particularly when uh, um, the, 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 the redefinition of things that Satan's busy doing right now um, rejects it. The things that, uh, that, we, that the Bible calls perversity, Satan celebrates, absolutely celebrates. The term is tapuka. <laughs> tapuka. And that's just kind of a fun one to say, tapuka. Right? I almost want to write a song. Now that I'm a songwriter, I want to write a song. <laughs> I can write Tapuka and make a, make a little jig out of it, maybe. Tapuka. It reminds me of the, just, of, uh, you ever see Music Man? And uh, the, the uh, Shapoopy. Remember that song? Yeah. Tapuka. It almost sounds the same. Get, get my Buddy Hackett imitation ready to go and we can sing about tapuka well that's not very good to sing about because it's perversity tapuka is is never good all right never good and it seems to be um the nature of fallen angels and fallen men alike the nature of a fallen being who is morally corrupted that i mean it's one thing to be defiant against your creator to just be passively aggressive or to be just to be disobedient in terms of you know omission, not doing what you're told to do. But when you go beyond that and you actually start to perverse, you start to change. So beyond just a, as, a, as a sin of omission, not doing what you're told to do, actually perverting what he's commanded to do, twisting and changing what he designed. This is what we're dealing with, with in terms of Tapuka. 84.19, there's 10 Old Testament uses, so let's take a look at them. And nine of them are in Proverbs, so that's helpful. Um, the first one, though, comes in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32.20. And... Uh, in the Song of Moses, as he's uh, describing, this is a, a wonderful prophetic message, particularly when he talks about the rebellion of Israel and as Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. What happens when Israel in prosperity forgets the God of their redemption? And uh, so verse 15 of Deuteronomy 32, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You were grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forgot, and then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Just keep that in mind because we've got abominations coming up in Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verse 16. Six which the Lord hates and seven which are an abomination to him. They sacrifice to demons who are not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately. 
whom your fathers did not dread. We've got the expression Johnny come lately, right? Well, these are gods come lately. These posers, these, these uh, frauds, created beings. The worst ones of all are the Nephilim. They're, the, they're half-breeds anyway. New gods come lately. Demons that are um, indwelling these idols. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord uh, saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. And if that sounds familiar language to you, Paul writes about this in the New Testament. As we are children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so this is our term. This is our tapuka. Uh, So he said, I will hide my face from them. Now God in turn, like for like in kind, the judgment is commensurate. They have turned their back on God. So what's he going to do? He gives them over. He turns his back on them. All right. And we see what the end shall be. How's that working out for you? Right. Uh, What's the you reap what you sow. You face the consequences. You make your bed. You lie in it. We have all these expressions. And based upon the law of sowing and reaping, they are biblical in terms of how God deals with negative volition in angels and men alike. Angelity and humanity. Okay? So I will see what their end shall be, for they are a tapuka generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. And what we see, and I think we'll see this as a pattern that will play out in, in the Proverbs that we look at next, is that the tapuka comes about after um, people who should know better stop walking by faith. They stop living the Word of God. They stop learning the Word of God. It's faithlessness on their part as it's expressed there in Deuteronomy 32.20. All right? So let's look at the nine Proverbs uses, starting in Proverbs 2. Verse 12 and verse 14. And of course, chapter 2, we've already covered in some detail. But this is uh, one of the purpose clauses. Why is it that we take in wisdom? What does it do? Um, Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Why? Why do we take in the Word of God in Proverbs 2.11? Well, here's the purpose clauses, starting in verse 12. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks tapuka things, from the man who speaks uh, these perverse things, from those who leave the paths of, up- of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. The absolute worst enemies you're going to have in the Christian way of life are not the unbelievers that have never been in the Word of God. It's reversionistic believers who have been in the Word of God and have departed. And they want to get you out of it, like they're out of it. Those who leave the paths of uprightness, that's far worse than the unregenerate, the unsaved that never was in the path of of uprightness to begin with. Notice, they delight in doing evil, and they rejoice in the tapuka, the perversity of evil. And this is uh, why the Word of God is critical. Okay? And why it is that we want doctrine to shape us. Why it is that the Word of God is so transformative. 
that we don't view the Word of God as a, as a phone book, or we don't view it as a recipe book, or we don't view it as, as um, spell casting, okay? Whereby uh, we learn little bits here and little bits here and little bits here, okay? For whatever the case may be. We learn the whole counsel of the Word of God. The whole counsel of the Word of God shapes our very being, transforms our very being. Okay? And I've emphasized this in the past. I hope we're familiar with the concept. Uh, But I think people use the Bible like they use the phone book. They say, well, I need to call Fred, so I flip to the page and I find Fred's number, and I got what I need. I can close the phone book now. I don't need it anymore. All I needed it for was to get Fred's phone number. Okay? And people use the Bible like, like that. Well, I've got, a, I've got a marriage problem. Let's see if the Bible says anything about it. Okay, there's a verse. Fine, I can close the Bible. Now I don't need it anymore. Or whatever else. Uh, I might need to use it as a self-help book. I might need to find little bits here, little bits there. That's not how it works. We, we grow line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And it may be that, that um, you know, isn't it remarkable how... Uh, we spend an hour in a, in, a, in a word study on Topuka, all right? And 20 believers can take it 20 different directions the next day because it's a part of the little bit here, a little bit there, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's the doctrine itself that's transforming who we are, molding us into that image of Christ. And so I go out and I have a test on whatever, and it has no bearing on Topuka whatsoever. It's a test of something completely unrelated. doesn't matter. Because I've been transformed by the Word of God on this day. All right. So that's Proverbs 2. Proverbs 6 is our passage today. Proverbs 8, 8.13. Still in the parental wisdom section of Proverbs 8. And uh, remember, we don't get to the new section until Proverbs 10. But Proverbs 8, 13, uh, I love Proverbs 8, right? Uh, Verse 12 says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And this is the wisdom personified, which is like Logos personified in John chapter 1. We're talking about the second member of Trinity. This is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? Don't let it fool you because Chachma is a feminine noun and it's spoken of in a feminine gender. This is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in this chapter. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. See, more hate lessons coming up. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the tapuka mouth I hate. The tapuka mouth I hate. Oh, there it is. Okay, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I'm understanding. Power is mine. All right, can't wait to get there. It's going to be a fun chapter. Proverbs 10. Now we get to Proverbs 10, we've left the parental wisdom section. We're actually getting to the life experience. What did I call this section? The the practical wisdom for daily life. And in Proverbs 10, 31 and 32, we get into these chapters that are impossible to outline. They don't lend themselves to a chapter structure, but here we have it. 31 and 32. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the tapuka tongue will be cut out. 
The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is tapuka, the mouth of the wicked. And so we have many of these things in parallel like we have today in terms of uh, perversion and wickedness or worthlessness and wickedness, belial and wickedness. Here in this case, we have lips and tongue in verses 31 and 32. The mouth of the wicked, what is tapuka, what is perverted. Similar to the book of James, right? Same tongue. (laughs) The same tongue blesses the Lord and the same tongue curses. You know? And uh, so what's the answer? Cut the tongue out or tame the tongue? Ooh, there's a mature man. Okay? Remember, James is the New Testament book of Proverbs for the church. Wisdom literature for the body of Christ. All right. Uh, Chapter 16. Verses 28 and 30. 16, 28. A perverse man. Well, there's a worthless man in verse 27. I think that's Bilal. I'll have to double check that. Anyway, verse 28. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. The vocabulary there is interesting because slanderer is one of the titles for the adversary. Uh, with that diabolos, when we talk about diabolos, um, it's often is translated as devil, but the actual etymology of the expression is the slanderer. Satan is the slanderer. And so look at uh, the slanderer here hand in hand with the uh, tapuka, with the perverse man, spreading strife, separating intimate friends. You know, isn't it interesting how um, the nature of humanity, I mean, we are designed to be relational. As you know, can we think of that as a weakness? <laughs> is, is that a bug or is that a feature? Right? We are relational. The angels are not. But we are procreative and relational, and we are birthed into a family, and we are just in our in our existence, we are re- relational. And that's fertile ground for the devil. Fertile ground, interestingly enough. Um, you have a believer who's walking in truth, a believer that loves the Lord, loves the Word of God. Um, I tell you, what's easier? Getting him to start hating the Word of God or getting him to start hating another person? Particularly if that person starts to hate him. Causing strife between brothers. And in particular then, he gets the twofer out of it because you start to, uh, maybe he drives a wedge between a church member and their pastor. Oh, that dirty dog. Oh, that jerk. Oh, whatever. And then the next thing you know, because of a personality thing, not only are you out on the outs with the pastor, but now you're done with the Bible altogether anyway. Who cares as far as that goes? And so um, anyway, the, uh, I think the, the tandem here of perversity and strife and the purpose of strife and the purpose of slander, separating intimate friends, Satan can use that in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. All right. Better leave Proverbs 16 pretty quickly or we'll get to the, the gray head verse there in verse 31 and mention those kind of things and you start to separate intimate friends. Okay. Chapter 23 and verse 33. Alethea's been 
She's getting so good at colors. And she can make, she can hide any gray you want to hide. She can color any color you want. I never know from day to day what color she's going to have when she comes home. But um, anyway, she's offered to hide my gray. And I said, no. Are you kidding? Besides, this is my Aletheia gray and this is my Zoe gray right there. Left and right. Chapter 23, the last of these tapukas. 2333. And you know, um, context here, I guess in, in verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? Well, who doesn't? <laughs> Sometimes, on occasion, all of us, right? But are we, are we bringing these things about ourselves by virtue of the consequences of poor decisions? All right, here's one who does. Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. You know, the first glass is kind of nice. But, you know, it's doing what it's designed to do. In moderation, there's a purpose for wine. But that's the first glass. And at the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. <laughs> yeah. All right. You see things that you don't see when you're sober. And your mind will utter tapuka. Your mind will utter perverse things. What's the plural of tapuka? I guess it would be tapukoth. And uh, you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. You know, the, the ship is just rocking. <laughs> you know, when is this, when is this ship going to start rocking? No, stop rocking. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? Well, I will seek another drink. <laughs> okay? And as soon as I can wake up, it's time to start another one. Okay? There's perversity. There's perversity. Subpoint D. Strife. Strife is the antithesis of love between brothers. Strife is the antithesis of love between brothers. It's not hate, it's strife. When you want to talk about antonyms or the antithesis, you want to talk about we're supposed to seek for the things in, in love, are we not? Supposed to seek for the things that make for the building up of one another? Is that not walking together in love? We're commanded to love the brethren. Strife, that's the antithesis. The things that tear down one another, the things that drive wedges between one another. And so we have Rachel Maddow. No, I'm sorry. Ma down. Ma down. Ma down. Okay? Pick it on her for her last name. That's not fair. All right, I repent. That was, that was, that was a low blow. Madon. You know the Midianites? comes from this vocabulary okay and the midianites were very good at stirring up strife interestingly enough at least one midianite was not of this nature because moses father-in-law jethro was a priest of midian and uh probably the the last of the good midianites i don't know there's not many good things that can be said about midian after that 
But the verb is madon, M-A-D-O-W-N. We have also madon. So madon is number 4066 with 16 uses. Uh, Madon is number 4090 with three uses. Okay? Not a verb, it's a noun. With reference to contention or strife. And out of those 19 uses, look where we're finding them all. (laughs) In the Proverbs, that's right. We're finding them all in the Proverbs. As it pertains to the antithesis of what God has designed. Remember, we are relational beings. I said that. God designed us to be relational. And what strife do? Strife blows it all up, throws those wedges in there. It prevents any kind of fellowship, prevents any kind of cooperation, completely um, destroys the design of what God had. And so it's here. It starts here in Proverbs 6, verse 14 and verse 19 which we've already seen, it's designed in his heart. Verse 14, with perversity, with tapuka in his heart, continuously devises evil, who spreads madon or madan, who spreads strife. You know, there's a part of me that wonders why Strong's gave two different numbers for this. It's, it's almost like it's the same word. They're, they're, they're just so synonymous and so interchangeable when it comes down to it. All right. Uh, Verse 19, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among his brothers. This is what's going to close out the next paragraph as well, the hate paragraph in verses 16 through 19. Of the six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him, the biggest abomination is spreading strife among brothers. When a man takes office and says he's here to be a uniter, not a divider, but spends eight years dividing everybody he possibly can to where we have maximum hatred of, of people against other people. That's Madan. Okay? That's Madan. And Yahweh Elohim says it is an abomination. It is an abomination. Chapter 10 and verse 12. Yeah, I'm not getting political this morning. Hatred stirs up Madon. But love covers all transgressions. You thought that was from the New Testament, didn't you? Love uh, covers a multitude of sins. Comes out of Proverbs. We should have been studying Proverbs years ago. uh, And and you'll notice in Proverbs 10, um, this is the whole new section here that starts off in Proverbs 10, the Proverbs of Solomon A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And we have almost like a shotgun. We have this verse and this verse and this verse. And there's very little obvious connectivity between the verses themselves. And so it's it's tough to outline. And it's actually, I'm not looking forward to it. It's going to be difficult for um, my teaching style or or our uh, patterns of, of, of things probably why very few doctrinal pastors have have actually gone through Proverbs on a verse-by-verse basis. Uh, And it's unfortunate. But as you work your way through this chapter, I like um, verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. I like the term there, babbling fool. And uh, (laughs) we'll, we'll have some fun with that vocabulary. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble. There's the eye winker again. And a babbling fool will be ruined. 
The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And so Proverbs 10 has so many parallels. What we're looking at here today in Proverbs chapter 6, I find it interesting. All right. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. There's a reason why he's given the rod and uh, purpose for its, uh, for its use. Chapter 15 and verse 18. We'll wrap these up and then uh, be ready for the next paragraph next week. 15.18 A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. There's a good idea. In some cases, the strife isn't necessary at all. It's just your temper got away from you, and now uh, now you've got to deal with the consequences of that. 16.28 A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer. We saw that earlier because that was one of our Tapuka verses. And a slanderer separates intimate friends. And so not only is it a Tapuka verse, it's a Madon verse. 17.14 The beginning of strife is like letting out water. Oh, how so? So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Like letting out water. Like uh, a, a breach in the dike, right? Just a tiny little uh, a hole. And as soon as it first starts to appear, guess what's coming next? More. <laughs> the rest of it, <laughs> okay? And that's, that's the nature of strife, Okay. So if you want to have just a little bit of strife, well, you know, just make sure you poke a small hole in the dam. But guess what? It's not going to work because, yeah, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Um, it's just a lot easier to start it, to stop it before it starts than to try to stop it after it's already been let loose. Okay, that's 17.14. How about 21.19? <laughs> Sorry, women. All right. Have you read it yet? All right. Do I need to read it out loud? Proverbs 20. Oh, I'm not afraid of any verse of the Bible. I'll read it out loud. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Okay. There you are. I was reading about the Karakum Desert yesterday, and I thought, okay, there's a desert for you over in Uzbekistan. All right, that's uh, 19, that's 2119. How about 2524? Yeah. Some of these just preach themselves. It is better to live in a corner of the roof. Just climb up there and pitch a tent or do, you know, do something. Better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman, a madone or a madon. Or I guess you have to put the ah in and be madonna. Madonna, madonna, a contentious woman. 2621. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire. So is a contentious man to kindle strife. See, it's not just the women. We're not picking on women this morning. 
The men get it too. There's more masculine pronouns and feminine pronouns. All right. Like charcoal to hot embers. So, I mean, what do you see? You see some hot embers laying there? What are you going to do? You're going to slap some charcoal on it? What do you expect? That's what strife is all about. (laughs) The madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? (laughs) Come on, I was just joking. Yeah. Like charcoals to hot embers. That's verse 21. Uh, 27, 15. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain. I got to back up. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned as a curse to him. You know anybody like that? Okay. That's, that's where you need that coffee mug, right? That says, shh, almost. Now you can speak. And it's marked on the, it's marked on the outside of the coffee mug. And so that's the gauge. All right. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind. So good luck with that. And grass oil with his right hand. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Quote that verse a lot when Cliff and I, Pastor Cliff and I, have our pastoral uh, iron sharpening on the third Monday of every month. Appreciate that. All right. Then uh, 2825, two more. 2825. An arrogant man. Arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Finally, 2922. 29.22. 29.20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who pampers his slave from childhood will in the end find him to be a son. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. That's our verse. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. You see how these verses just like a shotgun, item after item after item after item. But the one we're focused on there, the Tapuka, no, the Tapuka, the Madon, is in verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man uh, abounds in transgression. All right. Well, next week we'll come back and we'll tackle the next paragraph, 16 through 19. We'll begin our hate lessons. Six things which the Lord hates. Seven which are an abomination to Him. Father, I thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You for this time together today, for the Word of God that molds us, that transforms us, that shapes us. I thank you, Father, that, uh, that it is faithful to do so because without your word, Father, we are conformed to this age, this age that is so mind-conforming. And I thank you that the word of God can shape who we are instead of the world shaping who uh, the world would want us to be. So, Father, take, uh, take hold of the word that's gone forth today. Make it real to each one of us, Father. And I do thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.